It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Brett Baer, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. It's been the same question for weeks. Will Ukraine be invaded or not? We talked to a former ambassador who says if Russia moves in, it'll be in for a fight. I am sure that the Ukrainian people would make it impossible for a Russian puppet installed by Moscow in Kiev, in the capital of Ukraine, to stay in office. They would flood the streets. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Ahead of the Super Bowl, law enforcement typically ramps up human trafficking operations and announces they're doing so. One former victim turned advocate says the efforts and announcements need to be year round. The Super Bowl is just kind of a, a large event, but it happens all the time. It's going to be 10 times worse tonight than probably the Super Bowl, you know. This is Tommy Laren with your Fox News commentary coming up. Any day now. That's what we have been told for days, that Russian leader Vladimir Putin could invade Ukraine. He has the capacity to do that. What he's going to do, I don't know. President Biden says if Putin does... It would be a gigantic mistake. And that Russia would pay a heavy price. We will impose the most severe sanctions that have ever been imposed, economic sanctions. And the president says our allies agree after he met with Germany's chancellor Monday at the White House. We will be united. We will act together. And while Olaf Scholz did not say he would punish Russia by pulling the plug on a pipeline that will increase Russian gas supplies to Europe, The president said if there is an invasion, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We we will bring an end to it. The president also urged Americans living in Ukraine to leave. I hate to see them get caught in a crossfire if, in fact, they did invade. But the big question remains, will Vladimir Putin send in his troops? More than 100,000 of them surround Ukraine on three sides. First of all, Dave, the only person who knows the real answer to that question, of course, is Vladimir Putin, and no one can get into his head. William Taylor has twice been U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, 2006 to 09, then again, 2019 and 2020. My own view is, you know, it's about 55, 45 against an invasion because of all of the bad things that will help that will happen to to Russia and to Mr. Putin if he does invade. But he's invaded before. He invaded in 2014. So we can't we can't dismiss it. It's a real possibility. It's 45 percent chance of a major war in Europe is a is a horrible is a horrible prospect. If that would occur, there have been U.S. worst case scenarios of of, uh, 50,000 dead civilians, five million refugees, in addition to all the dead troops on, on both the Russian and the Ukrainian side. But there's also this thought that it might only take three days for Russian forces to take Kiev. Do you agree with that? I think that's unlikely. I will not say highly unlikely. I think it's unlikely. And if they got in, if the Russians got in, they would have a real hard time getting out. First of all, the Ukrainian military is much tougher, much stronger, much better equipped, much has better weapons, better lead, better morale than it had in 2014. It has been fight. The Ukrainian military has been fighting 
Russians for eight years. We should remember that the Russians have killed 14,000 Ukrainians already, military and civilian, 14,000. We're talking about an unprovoked attack, maybe all the way to Kiev, as you've asked, but an unprovoked attack that even Russians don't understand the rationale for. The, the, the Russians are asking their government, they're asking the question, why are we thinking about invading our neighbor? You know, many Russians think of Ukrainians as, as their brothers. Uh, so many Russians have a very good, good attitude towards Ukraine. And they're saying, why exactly are we going to invade? And many of our soldiers, Russian soldiers, are going to die because of this? This is a bad move for President Putin. And he may rethink. He may take the other option. The, the Soviets broke up 30 years ago, but you think he's just, he's, it seems like he wants to bring things back, like he wants to go back in time. And adding Ukraine to Russia, wouldn't that be the beginning of that? It absolutely would. It absolutely would. That would be the beginning of a recreation of the Russian Empire. This is why, Dave, this is why it's important that the United States and Europe continue to do what we are now doing, which is to support Ukraine against that. The Ukrainians used to think of the Russians as brothers. Hmm. No longer. Really? Since, since the Russians invaded in 2014, and now that they are threatening an even larger invasion, the Ukrainians now see very clearly that the Russians, or at least Mr. Putin's Russia, those Russians are enemies. The, the Ukrainians want to have nothing to do with the Russian idea. And going back to your point, if the Russians were to try to take over Ukraine, they'd be tried to re, be recreating the, the Soviet Union, the Russian Empire under the czars, and it would, it would, it would doom democracy, um, certainly in Ukraine, but, but even in Russia uh, for, forever. With the Russia being there and the long history between Ukraine and Russia and the Soviet Union, there have to be some Russian sympathetics in Ukraine, especially close to the Russian border, right? I mean, they would have some support like they had in 2014 from people inside Ukraine. No longer. Virtually no, no longer. Virtually no longer. Now, in the parts of Ukraine that the Russians occupy, that is Crimea, uh, and Donbass, you will clearly find some Ukrainians, probably who the Russians have already give, given Russian passports to, so that making them Russian citizens, um, that would that would be amenable to being part of Russia. But the vast majority, vast majority of Ukrainians, uh, they don't want to be part of Russia. Uh, they want to be part of Ukraine, and Ukraine wants to be part of Europe. And again, we should support that. You have spent years in that country. You first were ambassador starting in 2006. That was 16 years ago. What is different now in that time frame, you think, over the years? What, what has Ukraine done in that time to make it more Western? The support for NATO when I was there 2006, 2009 was probably in the teens and 20s. You know, okay. maybe 20 percent um, favored joining NATO. And there was a lively debate about whether they, whether Ukraine should be part of Europe, move more towards Europe, or move more towards Russia. That changed in 2014. In 2014, when the Russians invaded and tried to annex Crimea, you just take a look at the polls. You take a look at the when you talk to Ukrainians before and after 2014 invasion, it is dramatic. 
it was very clearly Ukraine is an independent, sovereign nation, independent of Russia. We don't want to be part of Russia. That's that's the change. It turns out, Dave, that President Putin has done more to unify Ukraine, to make Ukraine really a coherent nation without those debates about go to Russia or go to, to make Ukraine a coherent nation with an orientation towards Europe. Mr. Putin has made that happen more than any other Ukrainian leader in its history. Okay, so So, if that's the case, is this move to reverse that? Is this a move where he knows he's losing Ukraine? And if he doesn't make a stand now, NATO membership is inevitable? Is that do you think that's what's going on? And he thinks that he's going to get the U.S. and NATO to finally agree with him to avoid the invasion? I think that's what he hopes. He wants us. He wants President Zelensky. He wants President Biden. He wants the United States. He wants NATO to fold. He wants us to blink. He wants us to to cave and agree exactly what you said. Agree. Okay, President Putin, you you convinced us. Um, uh, We're going to we're going to compromise Ukrainian sovereignty. We're going to say that Ukraine is not a sovereign state because you've scared us. We're not doing that, Dave. We're not doing that. President Zelensky is not doing it. I was just in, in Kiev a week ago. And a week ago, right now, I was in President Zelensky's office, and we had exactly this conversation. He is projecting a calm, determined, resolute, firm determination to stare down President Putin. Do you think that Zelensky fears that somehow he's going to be deposed, that they're going to oust him? I am sure that the Ukrainian people would make it impossible for a Russian puppet installed by Moscow in Kyiv, in the capital of Ukraine, to stay in office. They would flood the streets. Dave, we've seen this. The Ukrainian people, they know how to get millions of people in the streets. And they, when they are angry, when they feel like they've been betrayed. But we've seen, not that long ago, last summer, We, in the U.S., again, don't know Ukraine like you do. We saw and we were told the Afghan army was strong and they were going to defend that country from the Taliban. And there was no fight and they folded immediately and the government crumbled in Afghanistan. So we've heard this stuff before and seen something else. Is there any chance that Ukraine... And the military there would not fight like like what happened in Afghanistan. No, there is no chance. And the reason I say that, Dave, the reason I say I can be very firm on this. I've served in Afghanistan. I spent a year in Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, I've served in Ukraine. Uh, As you say, I've I've almost four years uh, uh, in Ukraine. Ukraine, unlike Afghanistan, and I have great affection for Afghans. Um, uh, they're a noble people, but it's not a nation. It's a, it's a, it's not a nation. It's not a coherent nation that can stand up. And we saw, we saw that problem. Ukraine is, Ukraine has been an, a people, a civilization since the ninth and 10th centuries, much older, centuries older than the Russians. And they're proud of that. They have their own hero. They have their own language. They have their own culture. And they are not going to give that up. If Russia invades and we put these severe economic sanctions in place, can Putin just turn to China for help? 
and make the sanctions not hurt his country so much? Um, he can look to China to help out. Uh, but the sanctions that we're talking about, sanctions on the three largest Russian banks that would cut them, those three banks, off from international transactions, loans, investments, uh, credit card transactions, uh, those those sanctions on those three very large Russian banks would be devastating in the immediate term, immediately. That would have an effect all across Russia right away. Now, could they try to cushion that? Sure, they can. Could they ask China for help? Sure. China would probably help out, but those sanctions would be so hammering, would, would hammer the Russians so badly that that President Putin is thinking about this. So in the end, that's why you are on the 55% side of saying Russia's leader will not ultimately go in this way. I'm saying it's a little bit more likely that he won't because of these sanctions, because of the strength of the Ukrainian military, because he could be, he, President, President Putin could go down in history, in Russian history and world history as a failed dictator, like other failed dictators in the previous century, he could he could go down history as as being tried in The Hague uh, for war crimes by attacking unprovoked and killing many civilians. He's got the concern about what would happen to him if he does invade. William Taylor, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, now vice president for Russia and Europe at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Thank you so much for joining us. Dave, great to be here. Thank you. Do you use oxygen therapy to breathe? If you've been prescribed oxygen, you know the problems that come with it when you're tied to an oxygen tank or concentrator. Going out of the house is a burden and nobody likes to be stuck inside alone. Now you can live life on the go with a lightweight Inogen portable oxygen concentrator. Inogen is oxygen therapy that moves with you. Travel around the corner or onboard an aircraft with an Inogen portable oxygen concentrator that provides the medical grade oxygen your doctor prescribes in a device that weighs less than five pounds. Inogen's longest lasting device delivers 12 hours of oxygen on a single battery charge. Call now to speak with an Inogen oxygen specialist and learn how you can try an Inogen risk-free for 30 days. Give us a call right now, 1-800-245-9878. Don't manage a heavy tank when you leave the house. With Inogen, you can get the oxygen you need with a system that's so small and light, it goes almost anywhere. Learn how you can experience an Inogen system for yourself risk-free. Call now, 1-800-245-9878. Inogen devices are by prescription only. Battery runtimes vary by device and setting usage. Terms and conditions apply. For safety information, visit Inogen.com. This is Tommy Laren with your Fox News commentary coming up. Every year as the Super Bowl approaches, law enforcement in the host city discusses the evils of human trafficking, saying large sporting events are often magnets for traffickers, especially sex traffickers. Hillsborough County, Florida Sheriff Chad Cronistert ran an operation ahead of last year's Super Bowl. Our goal, as the operation name explains, is to intercept, intercept those involved in sexual exploitation before they're able to take advantage of our the vulnerable individuals in our community. They arrested dozens of people and dozens more in another operation after that through game day. While most were arrested for trying to buy sex, three men were arrested for trafficking. And yet, 
there's very little evidence human trafficking increases in connection with the Super Bowl. A criminologist who runs a research lab at the University of South Florida's St. Petersburg campus said the proof just isn't there. A study done in 2019 that examined dozens of reports found no significant spike in sex trafficking around large sporting events. While there is evidence of increased online advertising for sex during such events, trafficking is considered different. Even so, ahead of this year's Super Bowl, Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva said the game ends up drawing traffickers to the region. Though at a press conference meant to bring awareness to the issue ahead of the game, L.A. City Council President Nuri Martinez said this is a way bigger problem. It is unacceptable that on any given day in our city that at least 10,000 people are being trafficked here in Los Angeles. The statistics on this do vary widely, and those who follow and cover this issue say it's an underreported crime. But the International Labor Organization said in 2016, nearly 25 million people worldwide were in forced labor, with just under 5 million in forced sexual exploitation. Polaris, which runs the U.S. Human Trafficking Hotline, said in 2020 they identified more than 16,000 victims of trafficking, nearly 11,000 of whom were victims of sex trafficking. And in fiscal year 2021, ICE Homeland Security Investigations said the number of human trafficking cases increased. And we're in a culture today that it's becoming more, and I can honestly speak this with boldness, that it's becoming more acceptable that people are actually starting to believe more and more that it's a choice for these children and even a lot of the women and the men and the victims that are out there. Ori Freeman is an advocate and survivor of child sex trafficking. Because of popular culture, like things that we see in the media, whether the TV and a lot of the realities are being like definitely the stories are being told completely different than what it really is. A lot of it is being glorified through media and stuff versus the after effects. You know, although the Super Bowl is going on, I think my, my primary thing of what I'm really afraid of is the after effects that happen. For someone that has been trafficked in Los Angeles County, especially during popular events timing, it's not necessarily the events that take place in that timing that makes it worse. It's the after effect. You know, you're coming into a city where right now law enforcement is trying the best that they can be because our district attorney's office in Los Angeles, cases are not being filed and they're not being prosecuted. So men and women who are trafficking these victims, especially children, are literally going to the station and getting out within a couple of hours and getting a citation. And I think the really important thing is what people don't really want to accept is that nobody, yeah, this big old Super Bowl thing, but nobody is driving all the way from Orange County or flying in from Miami to buy sex and buy children, buy sex from children in Los Angeles. It's homegrown. It's the people right here in our backyard that's doing right. it. And it's becoming so bad to where local agencies here in Orange County, where I work alongside the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force, I had a sergeant who's been in the forest for over 25 years. And he said when he traveled to L.A. recently because they were in search for a pimp to prosecute him, literally, he said this is the most horrible that he has seen in the 25 years that he has worked in the field. Wow. It's it's a growing problem. I think what last thing what makes it really worse is social media today and the internet, you know, it's becoming an invisible crime now. So things that we normally see on the street, you can count probably over a hundred girls if you go out to the local tracks in Los Angeles, but online that's going to happen during the Super Bowl. That's where a lot of the stuff is going to take place. That's hidden. Ori, do you, do you feel like the focus on human trafficking surrounding a, like the Super Bowl is effective or is it like, hey, at least we're at least we're getting the word out somehow, even if it's around this time? Or would you make the case that this needs to be talked about, you know, way more often and not in association necessarily with a sporting event? You know, it's a, basically a, a band aid on the things that we hey, we know the athletes, artists, 
many other people are going to come into town and they're going to buy sex and they're going to be in the strip clubs. They're going to purchase sex, whether online from children or whether from going to be from adults. And before anything happens, right, like before, if someone gets caught up in anything by law enforcement, let's put a Band-Aid on this beforehand to say that we tried to do everything that we could do. It's bigger than a Super Bowl. You know, like I said, I'm not concerned about what happens on the day of the Super Bowl. I'm concerned about what happened to the victims after, guess what, you get a rush of all these people coming into town, right, who's going to end up purchasing sex, who are going to go into these clubs and a lot of these women and these men will get victimized, right? In their eyes, people don't care or people's not saying anything or, you know, people are going to turn a blind eye to it. There's not going to be any arrests made. Like, you know, you're going to come into a city and realize, like, and even for the traffickers, I can do this and get away with it. Hmm. You know, and that's setting the tone for everything else, right? So it's the after effects. And, and the Super Bowl is just kind of a, a large event, but it happens all the time. It's going to be 10 times worse tonight than probably the Super Bowl, you know? Can you share with our listeners a little bit about what you went through, how you went through it? I was reading about your story, um, and for sensitive listeners, it might be hard to hear, but I think it's important to to know what happened to you, especially given how young you were when you went through it. Yeah, I was um, 11 years old when I ended up being sex trafficking. Um, that is really important part of my story. And what I always love to share, though, to parents, especially listening right now, is that there is no marker or specific target that traffickers go after. Yeah, there are large studies that a lot of foster youth, former foster youth, women of you know of color, children that are black and brown are definitely more trafficked at a higher rate, especially in Los Angeles. Children or adults that come from broken homes. But then let me tell you something. It doesn't matter of what background you come from or, you know, what type of family you had. Anybody could be trafficked at the right moment at the right time, you know, especially being vulnerable. And then being 11 years old, even though I came from a broken home and I was abused and I was, you know, sexually abused and raped at a very early age throughout my childhood previous to being 11, you know, my earliest memory of being molested was at five years old. You know, I experienced the gang rape at a nine and I never received any community resources or access, like any type of resources. And I think today we're trying to also, you know, continue to have more resources, but my family wasn't supported through the process. And I'm also seeing that now. You know, I have a a nine year old niece that was molested and, you know, you got the system saying, well, how do we know that she's telling the truth? And those are the things that start to happen in this process of you starting to believe, you know, the things that you experienced didn't matter. And a lot of I would say, like my red flags in my life was my mother was a great mom. She tried to provide for me the best that she can. But, you know, growing up in poverty and living in an environment that wasn't the healthiest, surrounded by gangs and drugs. My mother was a very sheltering mom. You know, I stayed in church. Um, Every Sunday, went to Bible study, sang in the choir, but I was sheltered too much from the reality. And my normal at 11 to 15 years old was being raped seven to 15 times a night. That was a normal for me. My normal was being abused, being molested, being emotionally abused. My normal for four and a half years was not playing with dolls or, you know, thinking about what college I would go to or thinking about prom. My normal every single day, the day that I woke up and closed my eyes was making money for someone that I would never see a dollar of. This innocent child that was taught to love, that had hope in her heart, that had forgiveness in her heart was 
I was completely restructured. And this is the best way I tell law enforcement. I was restructured as if I was a newborn child again, like on how to walk, how to talk, how I would eat, how I would conversate, you know, and there's rules and being in the lifestyle, you know, always keeping your head down, never making eye contact that dehumanizes somebody. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the first time I had ever heard that I was a victim, I was 15 years old because for four and a half years, I believed that that was a choice that I had chose to be out there. And consistently what saved my life, though, was the power of unlikely relationships, people that were willing to fight for me when I, I didn't know how to and when I wasn't willing to. That leads me to another question I had. What do you want average people to know? Um, I've seen some videos online about like what what people should be like looking for, because it's not always obvious, right? Like if you're with your trafficker, you might look uncomfortable, but, you know, the average person might not be able to, to tell what should people be looking at other than clothing like you just referenced you know is it just hey you guys use your use your intuition this doesn't look right or is there something else that you you want people to sort of know i think to be honest like you said it best people are not people think they take it too many layers deep you know look for signs of um, provocative clothing, look to see if someone's in distress, look to see if someone's timid. You know, I could see someone in a store that whether if they are bruises or seems distraught or seems like just something is wrong. Like I could be at a grocery store today and it could be a cashier and I could be like, how are you today? It doesn't take a lot for people to acknowledge somebody, to, to just let somebody know that, hey, I see you. You know, if you walking out of a store, you walking in a gas station or you even it's times when I've been driving and I could see a, a young girl walking to a bus stop early in the morning, like five in the morning, like, girl, where is your parents at? Or I will literally sometimes just pull up like, hey, you OK? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, all right. Like, you sure? And just mm. ask, you know, or yeah. and if I think something is really, really bad or if I see her getting into a car or something, then you report something. It really is intuition. Ori, one more question for you. Was anybody ever held accountable in your situation? So actually, my traffickers didn't end up going to prison for trafficking because a lot of times traffickers we know have also previous violent crimes or they have yeah. priors, you know, to different things. My traffickers ended up going to prison, um, one of them for another minor, but not for me. The second trafficker ended up in prison for like, you know, possession of sales and things like that. Um, justice was never really served. And honestly, for me, um, I do have the firm belief that Everything happened in its course the way it was supposed to. Like, I leave that up to God. And so, um, wow. and very honestly, to be honest, we are moving. And if I could say this to community members is do your research on a lot of the policies and laws people are protesting. And, and I get it. We want change and we definitely want to see change in law enforcement and other first responders. But sometimes when we're protesting, we need to be very specific on the things that we want to change. Because when a lot of the funding was cut from law enforcement, like LAPD, it actually cut the human trafficking task force. So a lot of the officers that were working with the youth that could identify or build relationships and rapport with a lot of the women out there or, you know, were doing the investigations, they got cut. You know, so now you have an officers who are new on the on the force or, you know, perspectives hasn't changed that are now interacting with our victims. And that's a problem, you know. So um, we definitely need to see a lot of more convictions need to happen, man. Like, you know, I'm all for reform, justice reform. You know, I'm a black woman and I understand that there needs to be a lot of changes within the prison system. But what I will say is that sometimes people also need to learn from the decisions that they make when you traffic at a child or an adult yeah. and the consequences that happen in their life. You know, you, you should start time for that. 
Ori Freeman, thank you so much for sharing your story and your advocacy work. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Sick of the one-size-fits-all method when it comes to healthcare, especially when it comes to your ED treatment? Well, good news. Now you've got options with Hims. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatments such as chewable mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for less. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor's visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you for free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time to join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com rundown. That's H-I-M-S.com rundown for your personalized ED treatment option. Hymns.com slash rundown. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety or effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Laren. What's on your mind? The GoFundMe benefiting Canadian truckers in their valiant protest was approaching $10 million before the crowdsourcing platform froze the official fundraising campaign, citing violence associated with the convoy and also labeling their protest an occupation. The platform also initially vowed to redistribute the remaining $9 million in funds to what they have verified to be credible and established charities. Well, thank goodness Florida Governor Ron DeSantis once again took the lead in his pledge to investigate this, leading the crowdsourcing site to reverse course and automatically refund donations instead. And that's a good start, but it's not enough. Let's go back to the whole premise behind freezing the trucker's campaign in the first place. GoFundMe declared the trucker convoy to be violent, unlawful, and an occupation. First of all, to characterize those thousands of truckers and their protests in that way is intellectually and morally dishonest. But am I the only one wondering when GoFundMe started to clutch pearls over breaking the law, violence, or unlawful occupation? When has that ever been a problem for GoFundMe, any other fundraising platform, or any leftist-aligned company, corporation, or media outlet? Because I seem to remember GoFundMe being very tolerant of the fundraising efforts for BLM, the organization responsible for years of destruction, violence, division, and an entire summer riot season of looting, rioting, and terror. This is more than a double standard. This selective and discriminatory treatment sounds downright illegal to me. But will anything be done? Well, given the fact every social media platform continues their brazen content discrimination, I won't hold my breath. What happened to this Freedom Trucker fundraiser is just yet another example of these big tech companies and platforms that have grown their business models on the backs of all of us, only to turn around and tell half of us we aren't worthy. 
Those Canadian truckers and the thousands of Canadians standing their ground alongside them are justified in their cause. They are protesting vaccine and quarantine mandates that not only strip them of their medical freedom and privacy, but also threaten their very livelihoods and at a time when they and all of us who depend on them need it most. The treatment they've received from Trudeau, from the Canadian government and leftists right here in the USA is despicable. It goes to show how little the left thinks of everyday yet essential blue collar working class folks who are finally taking a stand. These truckers, just like all the other essential workers who picked up the slack during the height of the pandemic, pulled their weight and more before there were vaccines to mandate. It's sick and wrong to force it upon them, and it's even worse to attempt to shame and silence them and their cause. But I can tell you this, if such a convoy were to assemble here in the USA, I'd be out there doing whatever I could to help them fight the good fight. Because the truth is, that is what it's going to take to end all of the BS. The government tyrants, along with their pals over at the CDC, will never let go of the power they have over us now that they've had it and have thrown it around for two years. The only way to take it back is to force a new kind of shutdown, but this time one that isn't based on arbitrary goalposts or narrative-driven science, but based on when health freedom, privacy, and normalcy are restored. This isn't just a good fight. It may be the cause and the fight of our lifetime. God bless those willing to stick their necks on the line and get in the fight. Because it's going to take those of you who make this country tick to make up the front lines of this battle. Peacefully, patriotically, yet loudly and proudly, we will restore our rights. I'm Tommy Lahren, and that's the Fox News Rundown. You can watch my daily final thoughts exclusively on Fox Nation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.